You are listening to the Stronger Together Experience. My name is Dr. Matthew X. Joseph, and my goal is to meet with educators across the globe and learn from them, learn with them, because I believe being stronger together allows us to collaborate and support one another's growth. So join me in this episode and all episode to learn stories from educators in the field sharing their experiences to help us grow and become stronger together. Remember, when we work collaboratively, we take our story and make our path and journey one to learn from. So as we move through this and listen to our stories, remember, we over me will make us stronger together. Welcome back. And well, just because I wanted to bring Alicia up first, like it, it, when you do a live show, you just don't know what you're going to get. Like five minutes ago, I said, all right, you're going to be down below, like down here. And then I'm going to call you up. And it didn't work out that way. And this is a, just another testament to this is how we roll in this field. You plan things. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't go through. But we have our amazing guest here already. So we're going to just jump right into that. You were so excited you didn't want to wait around. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Matt. I am so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, before we get going, I want to thank Swivel and Ball because without that partnership and being stronger together, we couldn't have amazing educators like Alicia all the way from Canada coming in two hours behind already. So you got to catch up. I'm in the future right now. But so for those <laughs> guests and listeners that don't know you, where are you from and what do you do? Talk to us. Uh, I'm a numeracy lead slash math coach from Grand Prairie, Alberta, Canada. Uh, my passion is really helping teachers bring the joy uh, to their students and to themselves while teaching math. Um, I've been following Dr. Peter Lilliedahl's work with Building Thinking Classrooms. I've been implementing that framework in his research for about 10 plus years. Um, and it's really all about bringing the thinking into classrooms and helping kids and teachers engage with learning and especially uh, a learning of mathematics. Wow. Okay. And your whereabouts in Canada? Grand Prairie, Alberta. Okay. And where, like, 
for, so for north northwest so northwest of edmonton okay you know home awesome. of wayne gretzky back in the day okay yeah we know the edmonton oilers as bruins fan actually we got a yes. here. I, I know that <laughs> a little bit so um you're in a school right now you're still there yeah, so I'm working out of central office right now. So I've been in and out of schools over my career. That's just uh, year 17 or so. Um, I, I I love being in the classroom, but then I love um, more of the leadership role. But then I love being back in the classroom, but then I love being more of the leadership role. So I just finished three years as an assistant principal, and um, I still got to teach throughout those three years, which was which was an experience. Um, it always is. My, my, my favorite grades, favorite ages are grades eight and nine. Okay. Um, so definitely a middle school, junior high teacher. And yeah, so I'm back in, back in central office for a bit to support teachers with math curriculum and pedagogy. And that's, that's wonderful. And the first thing I'd say is you're crazy because as an elementary, former elementary teacher and former elementary principal, they go to the middle school and I just say, good luck. And you're like, yeah, bring them on, bring them on. And that's what I, I say about kindergarten teachers. Oh, well, I do too. So we'll, that's fair to say that uh, but not only are you welcoming in those middle school and, and ninth graders, you're teaching them math, right? Yeah. And, and, and if you started a list of things that kids are like, I'm so excited too, math might not be near the top. So how does that work? You're, you're super excited about it. How do you get students excited about it to the level you are? Well, I think a big part of it was, I think growing up, and we can say this for generations and generations, um, I think part of how we learned math was not seeing the beautiful parts of it, not seeing the engaging parts, not seeing the parts that are exciting or connected or um, linked to something that we figured was real. So I think part of a math teacher's job now is to definitely make sure that um, we're teaching that way so that they can get that it's a live show. Thanks, people. Live show. Here in. it is. <laughs> so, hey, so that's I think what we what our what our goal is is you know what kind of problems can we give kids that are worth solving? What kind of uh, collaboration can we set up within the classroom? And what kind of pieces can we add to the table that bring that joy, that flow, that connection? Um, and it's not that tricky once you kind of flip your mindset around it you know give them something worthwhile give them something to think about um, one of my favorite problems is the painted cube so i'll just give you a quick yeah tell me what uh, that quick, is quick process hey so you have a rubik's cube so everyone can imagine a rubik's cube here's where kids jump in and they're like well i've solved rubik's cubes do you know there's different dimensions of rubik's cube so we're just going to start with the three by three by three so imagine you dip that rubik's cube into a pot of paint and the then you thing. pull it out the whole thing so the whole thing's now covered in paint you're going to pull it out, you're going to let it dry, and then you're going to smash it on the floor. Now, imagine that your Rubik's Cube is built of little cubes. Okay, so it's built okay. up of 27 little cubes. And it doesn't have the little turning mechanism on the inside, which people okay, have seen when they break 20, it apart. 27 little cubes. Just 27 little cubes. So it's going to break all over the floor. Now, some of those cubes are going to have paint on them. Some of them are going to have one face covered in paint. Some of them are going to have two faces covered in paint. Oh, some nice. of them are going to have three faces covered in paint. And some of them aren't going to have any faces covered at all. So now what we're going to do is we're going to work in random groups of three. And we're going to get a whole bunch of cubes out of our bin. And we're going to figure out how many cubes fall into each of those categories. Wow. That's now it turns out to be absolutely amazing the connections that happen. So the kids jump in, they start working with cubes. And then the question is, what if it was a four by four by four cube? What if it was a five by five by five cube? What if it was any size cube? And that's where all the connections come in. Yeah, and I think 
So someone's listening to this and they're like, well, that's not math. That's just problem solving, right? That's not math. That's a puzzle. Yeah. What would is you it, say to somebody? Is that just that, what math is? I'd say get some cubes, get some kids, <laughs> put them in random groups of three and get them working on this problem and see where the math comes from. This problem is so rich. It's low floor, high ceiling. So anybody can access it, but the extensions can go really, really far. So all of a sudden they're finding patterns. All of a sudden they're talking about characteristics of a cube. They're talking about surface area. They're talking about volume. Then they see that maybe there's some exponents that come into play. Then there's some linear relations. There's some nonlinear relations. Maybe there's some graphing. Maybe there's some table making. There's some data organization. So what we've done as a group of teachers is we've collected all of these big, beautiful problems and we put them into resources and then we've connected them to curriculum. Um, okay. This problem I have done from grade three to grade 12 to even my college students have done this problem. And I did this problem for my first time during my master's and I was in my 30s and it was the first time that I actually saw math and algebra as something real, as something that was actually linked to something that I could hold in my hand. And it, it changed my life. And it's one thing that I would like to give to every single kid well, and every just... single math teacher. Absolutely. And I see your passion. I see your excitement. And I think you've used the word problem probably 10 times already in the first eight minutes that we've been talking. But what I like about the way you're saying the word problem, it's not that we can't deal with this because it's a problem. You're looking at it as an excitement factor because there's a solution. So a solution. how do you teach? And I know now you're supporting teachers really dive into problem based learning. Well, we don't really care about the solution. We care about the okay. process and like that it. flips it, right? Because as the students are talking and they're trying to figure this out, it doesn't really matter how many faces that there are that have one side of paint covered or one face covered in paint. Sure. Um, but what matters is the patterns that they find and the, the perseverance that they show and the communication and the, the, the flow that they get into. And all of a sudden this group of kids, whatever grade they are, whether they're grade three, whether they're uh, college educators, all of a sudden um, an hour has passed. And they're like, what? We've been working on this for an hour and we've run out of time. And it's like, yeah, I guess we're going to have to work on it some more tomorrow. Right. So when you get that flow, that excitement and the kids are making all of these connections and this learning, it's real. Right. It's not about memorizing your math facts or, right. or working on algorithms, although it is because all of that stuff comes from the, the context of the problem. Absolutely. And, and what it, you know, just listening to you, because, you know, we've met once just when we were talking to different people about a, a project and now just before here. One of the things that I get from you a lot is talking about those connections in real life experience. Like our kids, our students don't go into a job and, and take out a long division piece of paper and solve math. They solve the problems that, that you were just explaining. But beyond that, you know, people throw around the word soft skills. I'm not a big fan of that because I think they're essential skills, student communication. You talked about thinking. I always say, you know, make sure we don't tell them what to think and teach them how to think. Like, how are you bringing those real world skills into a math class? Well, the first thing is they're working in random groups. We don't pick okay. the people we work with hardly ever. I mean, we make connections and we can learn together and we can maybe one day work together. I mean, the world is, uh, is allowing that to happen a lot more. But the random groups is huge because everyone can learn to work with everyone else if it's, you know, for, for a short period of time. Um, it's building that community of thinking in the classroom. It's realizing that it's okay to take risks. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not know the answer right away because nobody's going to know the answer right away with this painted cube problem, for example. It's going to take thinking 
making. It's going to take mistake making, um, realizing that the knowledge exists in the room. So I don't have to pre-teach it. I don't have to go right. up there and tell them what they're going to do. Now, the irony of this whole conversation and this whole situation is that this painted cube problem has been around forever. And you know where we found it multiple times? It was in textbooks at the very end of the chapter. So the part oh, that we don't extra. ever access, the extra, right? So this, all of this joy, all of this beautiful problem solving situation is situated at the end of the chapter that we don't ever get to. Now, we also used to think that kids also had to be pre-taught everything, that they had to learn everything before they were allowed to go on, right? So you have to learn all your basics before you can think more in more complex situations. Um, how about we give them the complex situation and see what comes from it? And so many things come from it and kids are so much smarter and they know so much more than we ever let them think when we pre-teach everything. Absolutely. Right? So it's not my it's not my rhythm, it's their rhythm. It's not what I think they need to know, it's what they think they need to know in order to solve these problems. Absolutely. And I think what that brings into this is risk taking. And and where I see oh, and you know, when I was a principal, I saw teachers shy away from risk taking because they didn't know what the kids were actually going to say. And there's one right answer. I want to make sure I get it. But you're talking about allowing students to have show their thinking take risks, make mistakes, and get better. What would you say to our listeners who are like, ooh, I don't want to let kids have that level of voice and it, risk? It's scary. It's scary as a teacher. And trust me, I've been there. Like, I, I, I was scared too. But honestly, once it happens, it will change your life. Once you see kids working together to solve something that maybe you don't even know the answer to, hopefully you don't, because then you can right. you can model that whole idea of risk taking and mistake making. Um, once you see them, it, it will open up a whole new world of teaching math, um, and the joy will inspire you to keep coming back for more. And right. if you're if you're too scared to jump right in, try the painted cube problem with some colleagues first. Get some cubes, work through it together. Um, and, and see if you can figure it out first and then give it to kids. But if you're brave and you want to just jump on in, give it, it to the kids and go for it. All right. Well, I want to show you something. I want you to tell me what you, what you think when you see it. Oh, this is super so, exciting. So tell me what this is and tell the listeners. I know, but tell, tell our listeners, well, you'd have to talk through it, but our viewers, what is that a picture of besides so, you? So just a couple years ago, actually, I think, um, Gosh, it's only been a year, I think, since it was first published. I self-published a book called The Dragon Curve, A Magical Math Journey, um, with one of my actual uh, old junior high students. I taught her in grade eight. I taught her math, um, Katrina Shirley, as my illustrator. And we published a story about um, a little girl who finds a piece of paper on the road. It's a long, skinny strip of paper. And her name is Ayana. And she folds the paper in half, and it turns into a mountain. And so she, sorry, she follows the road because the piece of paper is flat on the road first. Then she gotcha. folds it in half, turns into a mountain. She climbs the mountain. Then she folds it up again and she folds it in half again and it turns into something else. So basically it's an exploration into fractals. Um, and it just shows that beauty and that connection. And if you've ever um, Googled the dragon curve, and if you haven't, please do. It's another one of those experiences that happened in my life, in my 30s, in my in my math education masters, um, where I saw math as being something beautiful and being artistic and being accessible okay. to to people. So anyway, I'm super excited because I've signed with Codebreaker, and we are going to publish it 
um, in a second edition. So I'm super excited for that to happen. And I'd also like to keep on writing stories to kind of make these problems more accessible to kids in classrooms. Yeah, that's what you, you were saying. So we're going to show when, how about when you see this picture? There's the first edition of this the Dragon Curve. I know. And, and so this is going to be something that you work on and re-release it. So what's going to be different? Um, I think it's just going to have a home with Codebreaker, and I think I like that's it. going to make the difference. I think the self-publishing journey was really cool because I got to be in control of it, and we had this big creative experience, my illustrator Katrina and I, um, and I think I'm just ready for it to have a home, and then I want it to continue into a series of you know, all of my big, beautiful problems that's, uh, that I can hopefully put into, into a story for kids. Yeah, and I think you know, just having the opportunity to, uh, to partner with Codebreaker, but also publish a children's, two children's series. It's exciting to see things grow and to see these characters kind of take on a life of their own. Like, where do you see some of your characters? Because again, I'm just going to go back to, this is math, but your excitement is, uh, I want to draw back out of you. How does that work on a page when you talk about a story and you talk about uh, a, a fictional adventure, but you're talking, you're weaving math in, how do you do that? Well, I, to be honest, I don't really know. It's just something that I want to share and I want to figure out a way to share it. I like um, it. So you're taking my, risks. Yeah, yeah, right. My next story is the, about the lockers. So you want to hear another problem? Yeah, let's go. All right. Well, you're in a hallway. It's empty. There's a long row of lockers in front of you. You've always wanted to do this and nobody's around and nobody's watching. There's a hundred lockers that you can see. So you run down that hallway and you open up every single locker. Bam, 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 bam. Okay. okay. Now your friend, he's sitting behind you and he's like, oh, that looks cool. But he's going to run and he's going to close every second locker. Bang, 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 all the way down the hallway. You have another buddy. She's the third person in line. She's going to go and she is only going to touch every third locker. So if it's open, she's going to close it. If it's closed, she's going to open it. Oh. Fourth person in your class, maybe not a friend, maybe just a colleague, <laughs> is going to only touch every fourth locker. If it's open, they're going to close it. If they're if it's closed, they're going to open it. And same thing until 100 people have gone through. So the 100th person is only going to touch the 100th locker. Now, after everyone's gone through, you're going to look back and you're going to say, huh, interesting. There are some lockers that are open. Which ones and why? So what I'm going to try to do is put that into a story, but I don't want to be—I I don't want the story to be about um, my characters solving the problem. I want the story to be about my characters presenting the problem, and then the students and the teachers that are reading the story, or sure. the children and their parents, are put into this situation where they want to investigate and explore the problem together. So that's my challenge. That's what I'm trying to figure out how to do. Yeah, and I think it's. For me, just hearing it and, and, you know, being a learner at heart, like I'm thinking like, OK, after we do this, I'm going to kind of figure this out, not kind of figure it out. I probably won't be able to, but it's it sparks that curiosity. And I think, you know, I love movies and I see a movie trailer and it's like, ooh, this is I'm going to go see that movie. And what you just did is give a trailer for work in a positive way. So as as a math coach and, and someone and I don't mean that in any negative way in a sense of like this is what you're excited to do support teachers how do you get teachers to start doing that in classrooms like creating like a quick snippet of 
a challenge question versus dissemination of content over and over? I think it's, it's honestly just encouraging them and giving them confidence to try a problem in their class and to see what comes from it. And when I do work with teachers, that's what we do. We go in and we give them one of our favorite problems. We see what kids will do with it. And then we, we set them up for maybe trying one, you know, the next week on their own, or maybe me coming okay. back and trying one together. I think it's basically just seeing what kids will do. Um, and then I think following Dr. Peter Lillydahl's research on building thinking classrooms, um, the random groups, the vertical surfaces wherever possible is also really helpful because it kind of puts that knowledge in the room. So the knowledge flows around the room. You know, kids can get ideas from seeing what other kids are doing. Maybe they want to organize their data differently, okay. um, or maybe they want to draw different types of pictures. So that really helps. So that provides a framework for kids to be learning um, these types of problems or learning through these types of problems. But I, I think that's what it takes. I think it, see, it takes sometimes maybe seeing it in action, seeing the possibilities. Um, the stories, my books are, are kind of an idea. And there's lots of books about math that are out there that have these opportunities. And there's a ton of rich tasks. There's There are teachers all over the world working on rich tasks and problems and and number talks and interesting, engaging math. So I think that's also helping is like teachers are, are teachers are absolutely amazing with what they can come up with and what they can implement in classrooms. So I think it's just the community and making connections with people who are doing some of this work. Um, thank goodness for social media and right. for people that are working together to, you know, to keep this movement happening. So speaking of this movement, um, as someone who works in trying to support districts, hire new teachers. And I do a lot with mentoring. I wrote a book about mentoring. How do we get more teachers at a younger age going into math? Is it through STEM? Is it through computer science? How, how does that happen? Because as someone who's hired for 11 years as a principal, and then the last six as a district leader of over curriculum trying to get math teachers in, it always seems to be an area we don't have enough of. How do we make that happen? You, you get to make a decision now for two countries. I think a big thing that is so important is I think math needs to be seen as an empowering subject. And I think it needs to be seen as something that is more than just the right answers. I think every adult I speak to, almost every single one, like literally almost every single one um, has some kind of math, tra math trauma. Sure. Um, and it's related back to how they learned math. Everyone, even my engineering friend who says that she absolutely loves math and you should see her when we do these problems sometimes on Friday nights because it's actually kind of fun. Okay. Um, she she had a, a bad story about her first year engineering math class, you know, where, where someone made a bad comment. And there's something really sad because I don't know of any other subject that has that <laughs> whole traumatic lens to it. Nobody complains about like, oh, you know, someone who made them feel not smart in social studies or, or you <laughs> right. know, Right. Like it's, it's math. It's specifically math. And I think we need to embrace math as a language. We need to embrace math as an art. We need to embrace it as, uh, as something that's really important to learn, but not just to memorize and, and quickly get to answers. Um, Dr. James Tanton always says, and he has, he's a PhD in pure mathematics. And he always says that he's slow at math because he wants to think deeply about it. So I think sure. we need to change that whole idea that math is all about right answers and that math has to be done fast and that you have to memorize everything, right? Because we don't, in any other subject, we would never right. expect people to memorize every fact in history, right? No. Or every word in the English language. So I think it's just changing how we think and how we feel about math and also how we interact with, with math and, and to give them things that are worth thinking about, you know, give sure. them, give them things that are worth give exploring. Them the yeah. 
and now I'm going to take it another level because you, you had brought this up about getting into math. And as uh, again, as someone who's hired, we often hear in young kids uh, as an elementary principal, well, boys like math, girls like reading. How do we get more women into this, this field as well? Um, some of Dr. Joe Bowler's research talks about um, women in general really needing to understand why and um, and not not necessarily so much. Sometimes um, uh, males are just happy to get the answers. I know my husband, <laughs> said, you know, he, my husband told me once he didn't need to know why it worked in physics. He just needed to use the formula and plug the numbers in and get the answer. Um, so I think where um, girls have often gotten stuck and it would happen, uh, in my opinion, from reading some of this research is junior high and up, they just stopped understanding the why. And as soon as okay. they stopped understanding the why and they would ask questions, their math teachers didn't necessarily know the why, you know, or maybe they weren't interested in the why. I so I think that shut down a lot of, of, um, of girls in math. And then math is so intertwined with the sciences as well. Um, so I, I think showing math, I mean, gosh, math is a language. Math is an art. I think showing math in a variety of ways, I think will, will help embrace, you know, more students into the STEM programs. So I'm going to end on this. This is the question I ask all of our, our guests that come in. I'm just so fortunate to, to meet and learn from so many amazing people. What does stronger together mean to you? Oh, I think people coming together right now in the world, I think people are starting to really value connection and making a positive change and learning from each other and working together. And I truly think there is so much light in this world. And I feel like that coming together and connecting is going to take us places that we, we have been dreaming of going, um, especially in the education field. Um, and I mean, in the whole, you know, in, in all of society as well. But I really do think that connection is so important. And I do think that us making connections is making the world a better place. Well, that is awesome. Uh, make sure to follow Twitter handles right down here. Websites way at the bottom. You have some exciting months coming up uh, ahead of you. And it's so, you know, energizing to see your passion for, for education, see your excitement for, for math, a subject that sometimes stereotypically you think of as like boring or, and, and it's just refreshing to see you interact with this content and be that exciting. So, I'm so happy to have a chance to meet you. I'm so excited to see where you go with, with your projects and stories. And we are just excited you took some time to share your story with us. Oh, thank you so much. You're so welcome. much, Matt. It's been wonderful. You're welcome. Well, have a great rest of the evening and continued success in all that you do. Thank you.
It is such a pleasure and honor to learn from educators around the globe. Make sure to continue to tune in to our audio podcast and check out our video podcast by visiting xfactor.link slash experience. I would love to hear your story and share with other educators around the globe.